Good morning and welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. And joining me now, as promised, he is on the beat covering Louisiana's Raging Cajuns for the last 10 years for the Daily Advertiser, Tim Buckley at TDA Raging Cajuns on Twitter. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Feeling old, Scott. 10 seasons. Wow. Yeah. 10 seasons. I just, you know, when you got here, it was HUD's first year with football and Blaine Goche uh-huh. was a starting quarterback and they got off to this good, unexpected start. I mean, many weren't expecting them to, you know, be atop the standings midway through the season in the Sun Belt. But uh, just saying that, I guess, makes me realize how long ago that was because that does not feel like yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Blaine Goche is like 65 years old now. <laughs> well, he's. He's, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's around your age, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. Tim Buckley, <laughs> our guest. All right, Tim, um, real quick, before we, we talk hoops, uh, were you surprised at all of the news earlier this week when Rob Sale, uh, when that came out that he was heading to, to, to New York to join the Giants staff as their offensive line coach? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, actually saw Coach Sale at a basketball game a couple of weeks ago, and there was no inkling of it then. I don't know necessarily that it was in the works then, but it was all kind of one of those domino things, you know, when the guy that they hired to replace the guy they fired during the season ended up going to Louisiana Tech. Uh, when, when was that? They announced it a few days ago, but I don't know when he actually – arrived at, at Louisiana Tech, and then all of a sudden the Giants had an opening. So, yeah, surprised on that front, but also in the fact that, you know, I think a lot of people, because Rob Sale came with, with Coach Napier from Arizona State, kind of assumed that those two were kind of joined at the hip and that if uh, that if Billy took a an SEC job or a Power 5 job somewhere that uh, – Sale would be the first guy that he would tap to, to follow him wherever that place was, whether it be as offensive line coach or with the with the uh, offensive coordinator title as well. Um, and, you know, then all of a sudden, Coach Napier's coming back for a fourth season and, and uh, Coach Sale saw opportunity and pounced. Yeah, I think it was just it, – it happened – so quickly as you said um i know that joe judge was uh, i guess a a special teams assistant at alabama uh for Uh a short for a short stretch um back when uh when rob sale was there so there's there is a connection there it was for a little while and you know i think if if he if he doesn't know him obviously i don't think that unfolds but as you see in the coaching profession you know once you um once you like get in with with a certain coach, or once you cross paths with them, it's such a fraternity, right? And and oh. you follow one coach one one place, and you get a job somewhere else because of a coach you know it might not be the head coach, but someone on staff. So much of coaching at all the levels. I mean, you 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 covered the Utah Jazz for years on the beat. I mean, NBA head coaches and assistants. It really is just that fraternity. But once you get in, and if you're not terrible at your job and you work hard and you you're a good person. I mean, you you can bounce around a lot. I know that's the tough part of it, but you can coach for a long time. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. And frankly, that's not just coaching. That's that's the real world. That's the business world. A 
a lesson for the the youngins there. The uh, people you're working with now might be the ones that help you move up the ladder, you know, five, ten years down the road from now. Yep. Treat people right, and uh, in the end, you know, it could come back around. But treat people right just because it's it's the right thing to do, period. But, um, you know, uh, when it comes to the Raging Cajun basketball team, things were going right for them for a while. They had a nice win streak going, uh, Tim. I think it was, what, five in a row. Uh, they get to Jonesboro last weekend and, you know, score a lot on – I think it was their second-to-highest scoring output of the season on Friday – but gave up 95. Game Saturday was was wild for a number of reasons. But, um, you know, what what stood out to you, aside from Arkansas State just kind of shooting the lights out? Well, I was going to say just that. You know, when a, when a team like that is, uh, is hitting, you know, at, at a percentage clip that Arkansas State was, you got two choices. Um, either, either try to match them and play a uh, – college version to make it take it or uh um or clamp down and play some defense but if you don't do either one you're gonna come home with one or two losses and the cajuns came came home with two um and look it's it's the season none of that is is unexpected i mean i think there's just so much parity in the league and the schedule is is so weird and um it's hard to win both of a back-to-back it's hard to win when you're on the road i don't know that anybody at the you know, top of of either division in the Sun Belt, you know, those six teams or so, you know, on the west side, the Cajuns and, and uh, uh, UTA and, and Texas State. And, and then even if you throw in Arkansas State there, I don't know that there's all that much difference between any of those teams. So it's just a matter of, in some cases, who has the hot hand and Arkansas State had it. ULM, on the other hand, when you look, when you talk about parity in the league, uh, they're not having a strong season. I think they started out 2-0 and in conference play, haven't won since. Cajuns get them Thursday. It's that weird weekend in the, the, the COVID-19 conference schedule where you, you play a team home road or road home Thursday, Saturday. So kind of in, in some weird ways feels like, you know, the way the schedule used to be, but nothing is normal this season for a lot of reasons. Um, but the Warhawks, I mean, is this, is this a, a team that, you know, that can jump up and, and bite the Cajuns? Do you think it's that kind of parity in the league, Tim, where even a team on a 10-game losing streak can possibly take a series? Well, I, I think the, the likelihood of that would be higher had the Cajuns won both of them at Arkansas State, uh, come back home with a, a seven-game winning streak and been kind of full of themselves. But – Maybe that was a little bit of an eye-opener last weekend, and uh, they'll be a little bit more prepared for this one. Um, you mentioned the weird schedule, at least compared to the rest of the Sun Belt season. And now, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the only time in the season that they're playing ULM, or the two games this week, one at the Cajun Dome and, and one on Saturday in Monroe, correct? That, that That's correct, unless they, Does of course, it, Doesn't yeah. it make sense to you that you would play your in-state rival four games, two up there and two at home, as opposed to the ones that you have to travel farther for? That's one of the another one of the oddities and a whole season full of them to me. I, I, I 100% agree. Like, why... <laughs> Why are you only playing them once 
uh, well, twice, but, you know, in one series and it's home road as opposed to, I, I, I don't, I don't get it either. I mean, I'm look, I'm not saying they don't have a reason, but I just don't understand the reason. Just you just take a glance at the schedule and geography and, and the layout of it. Yeah, all. It'd be a shorter bus trip and, you know, you're cutting down at hotel times and the, you know, whole COVID era that everybody seems to have kind of forgotten that we're still in. Tim Buckley, our guest uh, from the advertiser ESPN 1420.com on the beat covering Louisiana's Raging Cajuns. You know, uh, earlier in the season, Tim, or I guess before the season, when word came out about some of the injuries uh, on the roster, Kobe Julian, Dury Cadwell, uh, we learned that Trajan Wesley's injury was maybe going to be longer uh, than expected and, and, and not going to come back. But it looked for a while, okay, Kobe Julian, Dury Cadwell probably going to come back sometime in February. Uh, here we are, Julian's practicing. Um, Cadwell is not. Don't think we're going to see him this year. But do you feel like that that the the early prognosis, at least from what the, the team was revealing, is that they were – maybe shooting for best-case scenario, and, and it hasn't exactly played out that way. We might see Julian at some point, but it looks like he's going to be the only one, and, and he's he's going to have a lot of rust, and obviously health's the number one concern. You can't just put him out there coming off of this injury and play him a ton of minutes. Yeah, and that um, what you were describing, I think, was the hopeful scenario that you'd get one, if not both, back. <coughs> Excuse me. I... Uh, um, late January, perhaps early February. Obviously, that hasn't materialized. I think if the Cajuns were riding, let's say, a 10-game, 12-game winning streak going down the stretch, going into the conference tournament, and then all of a sudden you you try to bring back Kobe Julian right at the end, maybe you have concerns about whether or not that disrupts things and it's almost you know counterproductive in a sense, but you know, if they're winning a few and losing a couple and winning a couple more and losing a few more, I think you have more opportunity to kind of ease him into the lineup without messing things up, if you will, especially now that, you know, the injuries are starting to catch up with some other guys too. You know, we we can go down the whole road of, um, you know, they were without uh, Brian Ayu for that second game, or, or I guess the second half of the first game and the, the, the second game in Jonesboro, and now all of a sudden you're shuffling bodies around because you also are without your your really truest point guard or your backup point guard, and Trajan Wesley's been out all season, and and now all of a sudden you're back into the same boat that you were last season, where you have guys who arguably aren't truly point guards, assuming more ball handling responsibility, more get them into the offense responsibility than maybe ideal if you're in the school that thinks that uh, the the Cedric Russells of the world and the, the Malik Wilsons of the world are really more off guards or combo guards at best as opposed to heavy minute point guard type, type players. Um, so if, you know, if injuries are starting to catch up with some of these guys, AU isn't uh, – available then maybe you're doing mix and match and it affords you more opportunity to work in somebody coming off an injury like somebody who's is, is hyped and has as much potential as as, as Kobe, Kobe Julian does ESP at 1420 and.com all right real quick just looking back on Saturday 
Um, Cajuns had a you know a second half, came back, made it a game, but halftime. <laughs> were you as confused as the rest of us when it gets reported by Arkansas State, who told Jay Walker that a player for UL tested positive? And I mean, I was like, wait, how can that be in the middle of the game? What's going on? And then they came back out and played. I mean, long story short, Arkansas State just gave bad information and screwed up, and that's not exactly what happened. But what's going through your mind whenever you first hear that? Well, I was kind of, frankly, half paying attention to it because I was uh, actually writing some recruiting stuff while uh, keeping loose tabs on what was going on with uh, basketball. And then I got word of the of the delay, and then and then initially was told something based off of what was falsely reported, which was that a Cajun player had tested positive. And so then had to start doing the Googling and the checking the Twitter thing and finding out that, yeah, it was incorrectly out there. And then it was later corrected, but not everybody who put the wrong information out corrected it. Um, and so, yeah, you're just trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And, that's one of the very frustrating things about not, uh, frankly, covering a game uh, when you're on site, uh, which we wouldn't normally do with all road games anyway. Um, but even in this COVID era where you're relying more on Zoom or reporting from a distance or whatever the case may be, it's just a big mess. And therein lies the rabbit holes of reporting off of Twitter and you know, as a journalism purist and an old school person, it just sickens me to see some of the stuff that all this Twitter nonsense and social media has led to in terms of the deterioration of journalism and how, uh, how you know, people who used to have common sense are, are forced and put into situations and where, you know, their, their journalistic integrity is kind of, put on the line because uh, everybody seems to care now about who has it first as opposed to who has it right. I will, um, I won't disagree with you on there. I think, (laughs) I think that um, I may not be as, as, as harsh as you totally understand where you're coming from, especially a guy that's, that's been in it as long as you and went to university of Missouri, a great journalism school. Um, What, what I was, as if we're going to go down this hole just for a second, there's something that came that, that I was thinking about yesterday, right? Our our stories are, are different than yours and your reporting and the great work you do with the advertiser. But like when you share a story on social media, how quickly with a comment can you tell if someone actually read the story? Like why comment on a story that you clearly didn't read? That's the thing that like gets oh. me annoyed. It's like, what are you doing? It, it, it might not even be that big of a story. It could be a basic thing where... Some of the information is in the headline. There's a lot more in the story, and you go and comment on it, and you clearly didn't read a damn thing. You didn't even click on it. So why are you commenting? That's the thing that drives me nuts. Because they have an adversarial approach to everything that they do before they even start to do it. They come into it with a bad attitude, and they're going to find something to be mad about. That's the whole problem with with the social media world and and as far as the message boards go with the anonymity and – um, there's no accountability, and it's just I hate it. It sickens me. It just it saddens me. Um, it's it's silly, and yeah, a whole lot of that goes on um, in terms of 
fan reaction and, you know, regular Joe reaction. But then when you see the journalists or supposed journalists being just as guilty of it, that sickens and saddens me even more because, in theory, we're the ones who should know better. And uh, there's a whole lot of us out there who, who don't. And that's it's it's pitiful. It uh, you know. So back back in the day, Tim Buckley, our guest, back in the day, pre uh, pre social media, right? Whether it be early stages of the internet or before, if somebody um, was not a fan of something you wrote for whatever reason, clearly they would have had to read it because then they care enough to. What would they? Would you get like a letter in the mail? Like if if somebody uh, yeah. or or somebody liked it? Like what was back in the day when you would get uh, communication from somebody that was upset? Did they did they find your number at the paper? How did it go down? Yeah, I mean they they called you on the phone. They wrote you a letter. They wrote a letter to the editor. Or there was, and I know there's a lot of young people out there who really don't understand what this is. There was actual like human interaction where. People kind of like talk to each other and people look each other in the eye. Uh, you know, they might see it at a game and, you know, approach you in, in, the, in the concourse or in the hallway or um, bump into you on the street. And they'd actually like talk about things with you as opposed to having your nose buried in your phone and, you know, walking down the sidewalk, not even realizing that you're about to walk into the person who's right in front of you. Um, People actually like talk with each other, and there's not nearly enough of that that goes on anymore. Well, the good Tim Buckley, our guest. The good thing about that is, and you're right, there's not, and I'm I'm guilty of it too, being on the phone a lot. And I always say, look, if I if I didn't have to do it for work, I don't think I would I would take a lot of time away. I would eventually come back to Twitter. I'm not going to lie, but I would definitely take some time away from it for a oh, while. No um, I you know I think <laughs> after the. Um, you know, after one of the hurricanes, I took a week off to help out some some friends in Lake Charles. And I, I said, look, if I'm going to be off, and this was during, you know, COVID, sports wasn't quite back up in full effect. So, like, there was no, I just, I deleted some apps off my phone and said, I'll come back in a week, you know. And uh, it was a nice week, Tim. But, you know, oh, yeah. it, it, in terms of the human interaction, Whenever in 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 this, and I'll tie this back into the job you do, or 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 the job I do, right? When whether it's a a, a reader with a journalist, a listener with a host, you or I with a coach or an athlete or someone in the world of sports. Once someone becomes humanized, it doesn't. It, it's it's a good thing. Right. It's like even even if it's somebody that's like, you know, you might find annoying on social media. Once you know a little bit more about them or their struggles in life or whatever, whatever it might be, it bring. I find that unless the person is just a complete, you know what, I find that it always works better. Now, some people aren't interested in doing that. And those are the folks that I just say, you know what, I'm I, I'm not going to waste my time anymore. But I think most you know, once you actually start talking to them, it's like, man, you're you're different. This isn't what I perceived. You're a real person. Like, why do you do this? It's just, and and, and it goes both ways. So yeah. that human interaction is uh, is a great thing, you know. And I um I think obviously we it's hard to do right now uh, with COVID. It's hard to do in general with a, a different generation and, and how they communicate. But it's something that needs to. We need more of it. That's just yeah. bottom line. 
I tell people around me all the time, some of the young ones, when I'm back home or whatever, put down your phone and talk to me. <laughs> um, you know, it just frustrates me. You go to the grocery store and you're checking out and the clerk is, is down there doodling with the phone. Like, focus on scanning the product, telling me how much I owe you, and then you can deal with your phone. And I know I'm the, you know, bitter old... Sure. My yeah, the guy, old curmudgeon Tim Buckley. Right. I will throw this in, though, and this always cracked me up. Uh, you know, you talk about back in the day. Um, back in the day, you know, nowadays all the all the student-athletes, uh, in the case of colleges or or even, you know, the, the pro guys now, they know all, all what's happening because of social media. Well, back in the day when you'd go in the locker room, um, you'd have a player – and on occasion, complain about a story that was written. And they, they'd voice their complaint, and they'd be so mad because you said this, and you said that, and this isn't right, and that's not fair, and this and that. And you're listening to all the things that that person's telling you. And then all of a sudden you say whatever fill in their name is, Joe Blow, Joe, um, that's just not true what you're saying. Did you, did you read the story? No, I don't read the paper. Well, then how do you know what was in the story? Well, the fact of the matter is these guys found out what was in the story because either their wife read the story and told them or their girlfriend read the story and told them or in some cases their wife and the girlfriend read the story and told them. And that was how they complained about the story. Um, it's, it was crazy. But at least they were talking to you. That's, you know, a little the, the, there, there. there is a human interaction Look, it's it's things things have we we say last last point on this we say back in the day, um, it's not like this is even all that long ago. Like in terms of sure. the, looking at, but but just in terms of like looking at the phone and how much it is, I could tell you is like I used to do you know MC uh, some of the football banquets for UL after the season. You know they'd hand out awards stuff like that. I'd go up, I'd make a few jokes about HUD. He would smile, probably be mad at me. Then we'd hand out awards. It was fine. It was fun. Uh, you know, the players liked it. It was good. I was, um, I was at the uh, banquet year before last, and, and I'll say all the seniors that were honored, all of the ones I interacted with throughout their careers at UL, you know, good guys, good kids, um, worked hard, you know, and, and nothing but good things to say about us. This isn't a knock on them. This is more of a just – perception in terms of how I saw it. So I was sitting next to, uh, I, w- I wasn't hosting. I was just handing out an award for something. And I was sitting next to Rob Sale and another coach who's still on the team. And I won't name them, but we're sitting there and all of the seniors are in front of us, Tim. And this is only maybe three or four years after, you know, a banquet that I emceed a few years prior. So I hadn't been to a banquet in a couple years and I'm like looking and, and one of the coaches pointed out to me, the coaches are sitting there goofing around, you know, they're grilling each other, making jokes, whatever. Every single player, every single player was sitting down and every we counted, we looked at them. Every single one was on their phone. Dressed oh, nice, yeah. getting ready for the banquet. And look, it wasn't like they weren't allowed to. It was fine. It was a moment you could do it, but it was just like, not a single one of them was talking to each other. And these are good kids, so I'm not even knocking them. But the point is, it's like, this didn't just happen like 
20, 15 years ago, as soon as, like, it has, in the last five years, it has just escalated to a yeah. point where now it's just, I mean, there's, you know this, I mean, there's no, there's yeah. no putting the genie back in the bottle, yeah. like, it's just here, that's, and, and now that's part of the challenges with coaches at every level of, okay, yeah. how do I manage this? You're right, and to bring it full circle, when I first got here, and, you know, people can say what they want about HUD and, you know, the the car salesman approach and, and, and all of that, but I knew almost every one of those kids, certainly all the starters um, and even some of the key backups, because we were on the practice field when they were walking off the practice field, uh-huh. and they came over and they shook your hand and they said hello, and you had a little bit of small talk and you had a little bit of interaction. And, and I remember Blaine Gauthier being one of the most affable, outgoing guys out there. And I felt like I like actually knew Blaine Gauthier mm-hmm. because I like dealt with him on a, on a regular basis, you know, throughout the season, throughout the spring, as opposed to flash forward 10 years later now going into the fourth season of the Billy Napier era. And, and I'll put it right on him. He's made this thing so insular and, and, like put them in this bubble, and I'm not talking COVID. I'm talking pre-COVID before all this started. That that these kids are in some sort of plastic bubble, and you can't have interaction with them. You can't talk with the assistant coaches. Like you know, like there's something special that I'm sorry, they're not. And and that just frustrates the heck out of you. Forget it as a journalist, just as a human being. Well, it makes it more difficult to do the job for sure. Heck yeah. Um, obviously, you know, it's it's working. He's winning. I know he took some of that from Saban and stuff like that. But sure. from your perspective of wanting to get the story, and I'm glad you brought it up, like I, in terms of like that's one thing HUD should get credit for. Like there's some of those players as they've gotten older – like I'll like James Butler is somebody like I'm actually he's actually become a friend like he wasn't a friend when he was in college, but like he finished playing he you know was on a practice squad in the NFL he had different jobs he's a state trooper now like I keep in touch with him he comes on with me sometimes but I like that's not that's not going to happen with anybody on the team right now like there's no one that when they finish playing I'll 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 might see out or keep in touch with or anything like that and there are a lot of players you know, on those early HUD teams that uh, I see out in the community, you know, they have my number, I have theirs. And, and, you know, a couple of those guys that I actually could say, yeah, this is, this is a friend of mine, which, you know, you've talked about in your time, uh, whether it be covering the jazz or others, there's a couple of guys that you covered. It wasn't like there was a friendship when there was maybe respect. It wasn't like there was a friendship when you were covering them, but perhaps years later, you're still friends with them. Final question for you, Tim Buckley has been our guest. Who's someone you've covered in your career that you don't anymore that, you know what, if you call them up, you could just talk and they'd be like, oh, hey, Tim, what's up? Um, not one of them. No. <laughs> not a no. single one. It wasn't a friendship thing. It was, it was purely professional. And even the ones who pretended like it might be a little bit of a friendship, um, it, it was just all part of the game that was played. Um, um, now, look, there might be some that you can walk up to and have a conversation with right. if you happen to see them in an event or a function or something like that. And I'm talking about, about the pro guys. Um, and there's some that you go back and, you, you know, you go back to a game or something like that and you see them and there's some interaction. But, no, there is no friendship. But part of that goes to my old school journalism thing. You're not supposed to be friends with these guys. You know, they're 
Uh, not not when you're covering them, you're obviously. Them. Not not yeah. when you're covering them, but was there any that like after? No, because I didn't take that approach beforehand. Side, gotcha. um, and so there's nothing to carry it over into afterward. Uh, and you're you're in a very different medium than me. I mean, we cover the same uh, topics, but you know, radio is different than journalism for sure. Uh, Tim Buckley has been our guest. Well, Tim, I don't know how we got down this road, but um, you know what? <laughs> but we did. We did, and uh, and I appreciate you joining me this morning, right. man. Uh, you guys Scott, give Scott, Scott you guys give Tim a follow at TDA Ragin Cajuns, UL Sports Beat reporter for the Daily Advertiser, doing a great job covering Louisiana. I appreciate the time, man, and uh, I will probably see you on Zoom soon, and uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you uh, in the coming weeks as well. Take care, Scott. Bye.